And welcome. You're listening to The Green Majority here on CIUT 89.5 FM, our wonderful and very appreciated radio community partners, as well as our podcast listeners. You will notice today that we have excellent fades and flawed everything else. That's because I am the tech today. Saren, your normal host, is the tech. I'm playing Megan today, which means, Stefan, yes. you got the big chair. Take right. it away. Thank you very much. We've got a, a relatively... Uh, I, I guess actually relative into previous episodes, uh, I would say maybe not more depressing, uh, but a continuation of our, our depressing theme, uh, which is the world is on fire. Um, although there are a couple pieces, I think, of good news hidden and out uh, throughout of it. So we're starting off the show with uh, sort of a, a look at a couple different ways that, uh, that that Canadian energy policy is being enacted, quote unquote. Um, and, uh, and sort of the, some of the difficulties that happened there, uh, spoiler alert, it's going poorly. Uh, and then we'll, we're, we're going to jump in the middle section. Uh, Lauren is going to jump into the show again, uh, and we're going to talk about climate change and, uh, the upcoming, uh, power shift conference happening in Ottawa, young, the young and the rising. Uh, so all about sort of getting youth involved in the climate justice movement. And then in the end of the show, we're going to come back to, uh, uh, a, a couple of stories. There's one, there's one story at the end of the show that is a positive story, uh, about, about, well, it's It's a positive story if you're an environmentalist. Uh, I will say a less positive story if you are an advocate for energy companies not paying their fair share. So for those people out there who listen to the show who are really pro-energy companies not paying their fair share, I'm sorry, there's bad news for you this week. But other than that, we know at least there's at least a half a dozen hate listeners of this program, so that's that's not in jest. Right. That it's, was for you. It's a shout out for those six people. You're you're you, we've we've got a show for you. Um, but I know, uh, I know because they email me. Right. Exactly. Um, but uh, but we're starting off uh, with a couple updates on different pipelines out west. Um, so Dave, what do we got? <clears throat> so the Coastal GasLink Liquid Natural Gas Pipeline, owned by TC Energy, formerly known as TransCanada is making further strides through unceded indigenous territory in British Columbia. After a court injunction, with some, which some call a legal billy club, ordered Wet'suwet'en land defenders to get out of the way, the Royal Canadian Mounted Police forcibly destroyed their blockades, made arrests, and have now begun ripping up the land and destroying locals' trap lines without consent or notice. <clears throat> The pipeline has been approved through the official Canadian legal channels, but members of the Wet'suwet'en Nation and their allies are claiming that Canadian police are breaking their own laws by forcibly entering Wet'suwet'en territory. The claim, as we mentioned before, stems from a 1997 Supreme Court decision declaring that much of the land in British Columbia has not been ceded in any treaty, and so those First Nations who operate on those lands still hold title. They also cite UNDRIP, the United Nations Declaration on the Rights of Indigenous Peoples from 2007, which states that Indigenous peoples have the right, quote, to autonomy or self-government in matters relating to their internal and local affairs, to maintain and strengthen their distinct political, legal, economic, social, and cultural institutions, <clears throat> and the right to the lands, territories, and resources which they have traditionally owned, occupied, or otherwise used or acquired, end quote. Canada, the USA, Australia, and New Zealand all refused to accept the declaration at the time, choosing to view it as an aspirational document. But since November of 2017, both the Liberals, who are in power in Canada, and the New Democratic Party have been in support of a bill that calls for full legal adoption of that declaration, even though they are both also in support of the Coastal GasLink pipeline, which is currently running roughshod over the rights upheld by that bill. <laughs> 
Some conservative pundits, on the other hand, believe that adoption of UNDRIP would lead essentially to the dissolution of the Canadian state because it would make Canada, in their words, ungovernable. Two weeks ago, opponents of the pipeline were welcomed into Gedindam territory for a public conference. It was stated by Indigenous allies of the Wet'suwet'en at that meeting, quote, Our way of life is under attack. They're using force. Like our ancestral leaders said in 1910, they make one law for the rich white man, one law for the poor white, and another law for the Indian. In this case, the rich white is a company. The laws of the land, even the ruling law of Canada, is not being enforced for us. It's being enforced for profit and gain. One week ago, after, after allowing RCMP officers, whom Facebook user Ron L. Clark Jr. dubbed the Royal Colonial Mounted Pigs, through their blockade in order to avoid physical violence, Coastal GasLink said they were only going to survey the area, but contractors ended up bulldozing through a big section of the forest, including a trapline and several tents. The Unistoten website states, quote, we have, notified, we have notified CGL workers that it is a violation of the Wildlife Act to interfere with lawful trapping. CGL claimed to be conducting preliminary survey work and did not send advance notice of bulldozing or clearing. We were notified in June that parts of our trapline may be affected in August 2020. End quote. They also argue that the company has not completed a required archaeological impact assessment. The RCMP has also threatened to arrest any trappers and clients of the Unistoten Healing Center that was created in 2010. Five days ago, the Unistoten House Group put, on a, put out a statement in, in demanding the company stop working immediately for not complying with certain permits for their continued violation of Witsu and for their continued violation of Wet'suwet'en and Canadian laws. Unistoten spokesperson Frida Hewson said, quote, We are witnessing police break all of the agreements they have made with our chiefs, watching them actively protect CGL and its contractors as they violate the Wildlife Act and the conditions of their permits, and watching the agencies responsible for enforcing these conditions do nothing. We opened our gates assuming that everyone would be treated equally under the law. We see that the RCMP, the EAO, the BCOGC, and the NDP Green Coalition government have no intentions of enforcing any part of the Canadian law that causes any inconvenience to this rich, powerful corporation. When Unistoten, Bren when Unistoten member Brenda Mitchell attempted to access trap lines last week, Coastal GasLink contractors stopped her on the road and read a statement to her from a piece of paper saying that she was impeding their work. Hereditary chiefs had apparently reached an agreement with the RCMP that states, quote, There will not be any RCMP <clears throat> interference with our members regarding access to the territory for the purposes of trapping and or other traditional practices. But the police still showed up that day uh, and still blocked Mitchell's path and told her that if she could prove that the company is interfering with the traps, then there may be an offense under the Wildlife Act. One policeman stated, quote, It's more complicated than it ought to be. Wet'suwet'en are asking Provincial Environment Minister George Heyman for an immediate cease and desist work order. Yeah, so uh, just jumping in here for a second to, before we get to sort of what the leaders have to say, uh, which is a little depressing. Um, and it's, it's, it's inter it is true that consistently um, we see in, in, in areas like this, especially especially in remote areas, it, it, the further the more remote an area is, it seems the more willing uh, the, the law enforcement in, in the Canadian state is to to sort of run uh, rapshod over there over over 
the laws that exist. Uh, you know, even in this, even in this, you know, in that's a little bit, the idea that the person has to prove that they're interfering with trap lines without being able to check on trap lines seems to be a pretty obvious catch 22. Um, and, and largely speaking, it feels as if they're sort of betting that, that they can keep doing this. That's really that's 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 clear. That's clear here, and as we get to the leaders, I think we'll see even more more clearly just how overwhelming uh, the belief that uh, they don't have to pay attention. And it's what, we, they, it's what we've done from the beginning. They just oh, uh, they just say, "Oh yeah, we'll do this," and then they don't do it. Well, yeah, and they it, take everything. Well, exactly. It's been a continuation of a uh, of a of a similar tact, uh, you know, throughout you know Canada's entire state. Um, which is probably why they think it will keep working because you know so far they've not yet no no one has held them accountable for these consistent actions. Yeah, I just want to jump in. So like we have this, uh, there, we keep calling this thing an environmental assessment, which actually is sort of my new annoyance of like language annoyance because it's an assessment. The only reason we're calling it an environment assessment is because for some reason politically we seem to think that the environment's like a special case. But no, it's an assessment. Before you do a project, you assess the impact. It's an impact assessment would be a better word if you want to put a word in front of that. But the point is they don't want to do an, an assessment, whether or not you want to call it an environment assessment, which should include environment considerations to go ahead with the project. And then when it turns out that there was something that would have been caught by that assessment that's a problem, it's like, well, we've already invested all this money now. Like it would be onerous to ask us to do that, right? But that was the point of the assessment that you fought against, right? So they're saying, don't, ass don't assess us. And then when something happens that whether it be a conflict with the environment, literal or, or indigenous people or any other concern, they then point to that same assessment that they actively avoided or watered down through their part, you know, subsidiaries and government and said, well, how were we supposed to know? And now it's too late. We shouldn't have to pay for it because that's too big of an onerous. So I just want like you, that circle needs to be, we need to close the loop on that. They're in this position by their own choice. Yes. Yeah, the same thing with the trans mountain. They, they, they pulled up all of these, uh, they, they already got the entire financial funding apparatus going before they knew whether or not they'd actually be able to build it, assuming they could build it and then said, we've already spent too much. Yeah. Money. And then that investment becomes the argument as to why it should go ahead. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, all right. Well, well, so let's see what the leaders have to say. So, uh, well, first, a <clears throat> criminology professor from Carleton University, uh, I read, told Andrew Nikifrik for the TAI that the RCMP destruction of the blockade was meant to send a message to all Canadians, stating, quote, it was very carefully choreographed to communicate to the national audience that any, <clears throat> that any protests against oil and gas pipelines are going to be cracked down upon. I think it was highly symbolic. Police action doesn't stop with the Wasuetan. He also noted the widening Canadian security apparatus and normalization of police surveillance of social movements. <clears throat> when confronted by a Wasuetan member last week in Quebec on the hereditary leadership uh, on how hereditary leadership is at odds with the state-endorsed elected band councils, Prime Minister Justin Trudeau replied, "Quote." <clears throat> We need to support you in the creation of a process that will bring those voices together in a unified process so that we can seek consent for energy projects, hope to get it, hope to listen to concerns and improve projects as they are put forward. What we've seen this past week is that the processes we have right now are not yet the right processes. Federal New Democratic Party leader Jagmeet Singh also supports the project, stating, quote, They've done con consultation in a very meaningful way, broadly speaking. The vast majority of indigenous elected band chiefs and bands and chiefs have all shown support. 
the treatment of the protesters was concerning. I would encourage that all law enforcement speak with those who are raising concerns who are protesting in a respectful manner and make sure there is a way to facilitate their discourse and their opposition in a way that's safe and a way that's legal. Federal conservative leader Andrew Scheer has not commented on the problem, but has stated in the past that in order to get the Trans Mountain Pipeline built, he would invoke constitutional powers and ban foreign funding from being levied against the project. Federal Green Party leader Elizabeth May appears to be in support of the Wet'suwet'en claim, as she has tweeted a picture of herself at a solidarity protest in Vancouver. If you want to see how you can support the Wet'suwet'en fight, go to unistoten.camp slash supporter toolkit. Yeah, so it is, it is, it is, I think the answers from each, each, each party are, are kind of, kind of telling it as to where we stand, you know, uh, the liberals, uh, while being in power and and claiming that they you know they want to support that they want to you know move forward these conversation nation you know the famous nation to nation comments Drew has made uh, while completely ignoring them um, uh, you know the NDP is in a is in this position where they're they are in power in BC uh, and their BC part supports it um, in the same way that the NDP is in this federal NDP is in this very weird scenario where the 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 gen, the general movement against uh, against uh, pipeline infrastructure, whether or not it's you know whether it's gas or um, or oil, is 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 quite unpopular with their constituency across Canada, broadly speaking. But they're in power in the two provinces that are both trying to force these things through, um, and and let alone the, this the, the position that Horgan is in, who simultaneously has to somehow balance the concept that uh, that the the coastal link pipeline is somehow separate from Trans Mountain. Um, in that he's, you know, he's come out against Trans Mountain uh, while supporting while supporting this pipeline, um, and and then of course the conservatives just don't even are, are so busy fear mongering on Twitter that they don't even pay attention, you know. Um, and and the concerning thing I have is that the is is that what's currently the liberals are setting up is a relative uh, is a, is a playbook in some ways for I think how the conservatives would act within Trans Mountain. I, I don't think the liberals would be as 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 uh, as as militarized. Uh, with Trans Mountain as as they are currently being in Stoughton, but um, but I think the Conservatives might be. What do you think about this this echoing of Andrew Shear of, of other strange sort of conspiracy reminiscent claims that uh, environmentalists in Canada are acting uh, from the impetus of, of foreign funds? I, I I remember I remember when we the last time we we sort of did a dive into that and and of course the, the, what's amazing about this idea that that they are the foreign funds is the fact that most of the most of the actual oil companies that are operating are 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 foreign entities entirely the Trans Mountain pipeline was was a Kinder Morgan pipeline a Texas based oil company uh, which we bailed out uh, from this plan you know like that's that's billions of dollars. Um, and the idea that the the solidarity that that is being shown across uh, across environmental movements across the world, and so and so yes, there's money moving uh, from other places in the same way that Canadians donated, uh, you know, um, to 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 things like Standing Rock, um, is is it, it, the, the idea that that is comparable uh, to the billions of dollars of capital coming in from wherever um, is is laughable. Um, and, 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 and the fact that Canadian, Canadian companies are doing this all over the world, right? Like, again, we are still, Toronto is the mining capital of the world. And so the fact that we are sending our foreign money wherever and to be like, oh no, the United States is putting some money into environmentalists is just, it's, it's ham fisted and, uh, just it's, it, 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 it is a useful, 
tool to, I think, rally the base, but it factually does not add up when you actually compare the numbers. Mm. But yeah, it's a time for my, uh, I think this is the first reminder of 2019. Okay, so we're, I'm having to stretch my back a little bit here to get ready for it. But this is the, this is my semi-monthly how to read the news sub-workshop. So the politicians write, especially speeches, like sometimes when they're speaking off the cuff, you know, you can catch them in odd, there's stuff and analysis to do there, but it's separate analysis. When, When someone is doing a prepared speech, the phrasing is very, very, very important because they know that people are going to cut that up and and hold it against them. They know that their words are under a microscope. So those words are on a teleprompter and they're chosen very, very carefully to to thread any particular needle. So David, I wanted to call out two particular uh, phrasing there that I believe I can identify as very intentional. One of them was, Stefan sort of half got there, but I just want to finish it up, which was the idea that they want to stop all foreign funding against the pipeline specifically leaving the door open for our funding for the pipeline that's not an accident folks uh the the more egregious one frankly honestly was trudeau however who said uh david if you wanted to or if you think it was important you can reread it but essentially it just came up to the uh, the, it was the beginning of what he said and it was we want to make sure that we come together to have an agreement where the conclusion is a pipeline Mm-hmm. Like that wasn't subtle. He didn't stutter. That was intentional. The only outcome that is a successful outcome is a concluded pipeline. Not that that's his position, but that he's setting the parameters of the discussion. There is no exit to this conversation where we don't get a pipeline. This is just about you telling us how much we have to do for you so that you shut up and let us do it. Well, he didn't stutter. It's not an accident. Yeah. Well, that, I mean, that was off the cuff. So these are these are these are vocabularies that these politicians have just absorbed, and that's their entire right. bureaucratic but it, speak. But it, now. It, it's not an it's not an accident that they all say the same no. thing. Well, and not only that, it, like that is basically has been historically the purpose and usage of of trans, of, of of the NEB, right, uh, of the National Energy Board, which has been not to which is not which has been to find a way to get this built. Rather than you know, they're his, they're historically have only rejected uh, a paltry few of the applications, mm-hmm. um, and and, the, and their general purpose. That's why that's what makes the sort of idea of consultation, the duty to consult, so so laughable within the Canadian context, which is that very very rarely does the like if the duty to consult does not lead to a responsibility to do anything different then then consultation is meaningless well the processes we have in place are not yet the right processes right exactly. so we need to empower you to develop the right processes right yes um, the, the right processee that will allow you to let us do what we want to do it's a process that we, we obviously haven't come up with the formula that will force you into our only acceptable outcome yet yes right exactly um, so uh, we're actually coming up to the uh, to to time but uh, um, but we have, we have a couple more stories we want to get to. So maybe we'll do maybe we'll you know let's go to the Trans Mountain uh, right now. Actually no, let's just go to music break and yeah. we'll come back and we'll do we'll just do a, a whole host of news in the last section. But next we have uh, Lauren uh, Latour from, uh, from calling in from Ottawa and we'll talk about Power Shift. What about Saren? So uh, I did uh, uh, of course whenever I'm teching I don't have music prepared because I'm not a up to the date music person. So during my quick uh, 2019 Canadian Music Award listings, I found a lovely new track by Ellis Glass. Here we go. All right, we are back, and I'm going to do my best to try and find out if we have Lauren on the phone. Let's see what we got here. Lauren? Yes, sure do have me on the phone. All right, I'm going to be quiet now. Go ahead. (laughs) All right. Uh, Welcome, Lauren. Um, How are you doing today? (laughs) I'm, I'm doing just fine. How about yourself? I'm doing pretty well. 
We're good. I'm glad the winter has hit. Yes, exactly. The winter has hit. Uh, I'm sure you're in Ottawa, so I imagine what we're just receiving is is what is normal in Ottawa. But uh, but Toronto is is uh, is Torontonians feel very cold today. I've heard. I've heard it's kind of brutal over there. So so best of luck to you all staying warm this weekend. Yeah, yeah. Well, we're also just like you know we've stopped investing in any infrastructure for the last about ten years. So we've we've decided that we're just going to be all cold whenever it gets cold. Um, But uh, but you are obviously you you join us all the time. Uh, We are going to have a quick primer on uh, on 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 climate change, surprisingly, Um, and then we're going to jump in talking about power shift, which is something you've been working on. Uh, So we're going to throw to Dave, and then we'll chat. Love it. Okay, so <clears throat> we just have a, a whole bunch of climate change stuff jammed into one thing here. So, oil and gas production is expanding in the United States, and the U.S. could become a net energy exporter by next year. Solar and natural gas are replacing nuclear and coal, though coal, of course, is disappearing much more slowly now, and the U.S. will still be way off track in aiding our global bid to avert climate disaster. Sea ice is disappearing by 10,000 tons per second and has lost 280 billion tons between 2002 and 2016. Greenland's ice sheet, Greenland's ice is melting faster than previously thought, with a lead researcher stating, quote, we're going to see faster and faster sea level rise for the foreseeable future. Once you hit that tipping point, the only question is, how severe does it get? In light of this, military bases uh, are becoming reopened in the Arctic as melting ice is opening up the northern borders. Warmer air in the Arctic contributes to disturbances in the polar vortex, which has currently slipped down to the Great Lakes, plunging temperatures in some places almost to negative 40, which is the only point at which Celsius and Fahrenheit are the same number. In response, Chicago has begun setting its train tracks on fire in order to keep their trains running. Australia, on the other hand, is, has just completed its hottest month on record, with a mean January temperature of over 30 degrees Celsius. On top of this, Inside Climate News reports, quote, We can now say with certainty that permafrost is warming at the global scale. The greenhouse gases underneath that permafrost will be released into the atmosphere, as global CO2 emissions are set to rise this year almost as much as they've ever risen before. A record number of private jets were recently used to bring people to the World Economic Forum in Davos, with Rebecca Ratcliffe reporting for The Guardian, quote, political and business leaders and lobbyists are opting for bigger, more expensive aircrafts. David Attenborough told Davos conference goers that the Garden of Eden is no more, and Greta Thunberg asked, please God, won't somebody think of the children? However, the BBC is reporting that youth climate rallies in Europe are on the rise, as 35,000 teenagers took to the streets in Brussels last week and more and more adolescents are joining the call to skip school for the climate. If you are in Toronto today, there is a school strike for climate inspired by Greta Thunberg at Queen's Park from 12.30 to 2 p.m. All right. Uh, for those for the young listeners still listening to the radio, uh, you mm-hmm. can you can get out there. Um, but so that's a good that's a good sort of positioning of uh, things are bad, uh, but uh, but maybe the youth are rising. Um, so, Lauren, can you give us a sense of, of what uh, of, of what power shift is? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so power shift uh, young and rising, as we're calling it this time around, um, is sort of built on a legacy of a series of uh, youth climate justice convergences that started taking place in Canada, I believe they originated in the States, but have been taking place in Canada every few years since the, about 2009, I believe, was the first one in Ottawa. Um, and basically, there are, there are convergences uh, that happen somewhat regionally, but people are always invited from all over uh, what, what we call Canada. 
Um, and basically they're like, there's, there's three to five day convergences where young people come together to skill share and learn from each other and learn from elders, um, all about climate justice issues and how we can engage effectively in activism and, um, and different ways of kind of shifting power and changing the system. So, uh, this year it's happening in, uh, Ottawa, um, on Algonquin and Anishinaabe territory, uh, from February 14th, uh, until February 18th. Huh. And it's, it's called Young and Rising, but there's there's nothing on the website that says actually how young you have to be. Um, is there? Is it open to everyone? What's the how? How can who who gets to come? Yeah, yeah. We we didn't we didn't really want to constrict people too much because youth is such a nebulous term. Um, and depending on sort of uh, the culture you were raised in or, or sort of where you feel you're at personally, um, you may or may not define yourself as youth when you are 30 years old. So um, generally, we're, we're accepting people kind of as young as, as 17, 18, um, up, and, up until the age of 30. Um, but obviously, like, n- nearby high school students in the Ottawa area are sort of considering coming. Um, it was really just a matter of when, when we were cutting off that age. Um, and again, it isn't a hard cutoff. It was basically just for, for sort of issues of capacity on our side. We, we, we didn't feel we had the capacity to, to bring a bunch of high school students in and, and be responsible for, for sort of taking care of them for a weekend kind of thing. Um, yeah, if that makes sense. Oh, that makes a lot of sense. Uh, as someone who has taken care of, of, of high school students before, that is a probably a good call on your part. Yeah, um, it's nothing against high school no. students. We love you yes. so much, and we're so stoked that you're stoked to get involved. Yes, exactly. Um, and um, and 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 so I so I have just I have just recently no longer become youth. Is that it was what I've learned I, 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 by hitting thirty? I'm, I'm no longer youth. That's a shame. Um, but uh, but so so this is this is obviously you know like this is building on a on a sort of there's a global youth movement around climate change. I think that's a mm-hmm. relatively fair thing to say. Um, you know, whether it's the Sunrise Movement in the States uh, or Greta Thunberg uh, or, you know, all the all the, all the the other land defenders that are across, across the world. Um, and so this is sort of uh, obviously sort of tapping into a wider a wider, a wider worldly uh, experience. Um, but I'm curious what you are excited about. What's the what's the thing that you're you're really stoked about that's going to be it's going to be there? Oh my goodness, there's so much that's happening. So, um, we have keynotes that are open to the public and, and sort of, uh, people who are involved in power shift on the Thursday and Friday evenings. Um, and, and our lineup for keynotes is really, really fantastic. So on the Thursday evening, we have Conahus Manuel, uh, one of the tiny house warriors coming to speak with us. Um, and Romeo Saganash and, uh, former Grand Chief of Manitoba, Derek, uh, Nepinak. And then on the Friday night, we have Menon Massé of Quebec Solidaire. Um, Harsha Walia, who wrote Undoing Border Imperialism, uh, Sean Devlin of the Yes Men, and Ariel Deranger of um, Indigenous Climate Action. So, so even just those two keynotes, I'm really, really stoked for. And then, um, and then on the Monday, uh, we can't give away too much. Um, we're going to be doing like a really big mass mobilization action. So, so those are kind of those are bookending the convergence, and those are two of the things I'm most excited about. Amazing. Um, and so, and so obviously, this is uh, this is sort of a you know. Like I, I feel like this is exactly the kind of you know I'm obviously biased in that I care <laughs> deeply about the climate change, um, but it does feel like we're we're entering maybe uh, you know I, maybe for the next couple years I say this every once in a while but the next four years do feel very important uh, given the timelines we're looking at and and the lack of action we're seeing um, and there's and there's actually an interesting we'll get to it in the in the last section um, there's actually some interesting work coming out right now uh, around around the sort of dangers to the to 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 our sort of quote unquote way of life that that 
that our leaders are currently ignoring uh, in many, mm -hmm. many ways. Um, and so, and so I'm curious to know sort of what, uh, how, sir, you see, how you see this conference and, and this movement uh, sort of interplaying with, uh, with the greater sort of world. Yeah, no, I, I think you're absolutely right. I feel like we say this every year, but every year we're like, we're, we're, this is a defining moment. We're in the edge of a, I don't know, a, a cataclysmic moment. But, but no, it's true. Uh, the next few years are going to be really, really pivotal. I know we talk about the IPCC report all the time. We have barely over a decade to fix things at this point. Um, so yeah, the next few years are, are critical. And Millennials are the largest voting bloc we have right now, and um, youth as we consider it still still includes millennials. Um, so we're a powerful group of young people who can who can really come together and make a difference if if we're equipped with the skills and we we have those relationships that are built. So that's sort of really what PowerShares is all about. It's it's not only about that skill um, transference from from maybe slightly older youth to slightly younger youth, but it's also about building those relationships and building a stronger movement that that can be intelligent and strategic about the moves that we're making because young people nowadays, I, I know when I was, uh, geez, I think I was like 20 when I went to my first power shift. And that was the first time I'd ever heard the term climate justice. Uh, it was back in like 2014, I think. And and now that's not the case. Young people are going into university or are in high school fully, fully equipped with a lot of that knowledge and a lot of that know-how. And so really we, we don't have to start with the basics anymore with young people. We can, we can sort of move from, organizing 101 to organizing 201 and and teach people how not only to hold a really kick-ass action, but how to structure that action within a larger strategic campaign to make sure that, that we're being smart about the way that we're expending our energy um, and, and sort of trying to make change. Um, so that's one of the things that really excites me about PowerShift right now. And, and that's sort of why we called it PowerShift Young and Rising, because we do sort of, we do sort of see it as like the 2.0 iteration mm. of what's happening right now. Yeah, and it, it feels like we're we're in especially a, a place where where the the in, the needs of of sort of the those in power seem so so far off uh, from the needs of the young people, right? There's the sort of the or the ideas of what you know, as we said, you know, we, we as the off of the top of the show, we sort of noted that ev it's that at least everyone except potentially Elizabeth May, although she hasn't commented directly on it, um, uh, seem uh, uh, are are still pro say coast of the coastal gasoline gasoline pipeline, um, while while there are you know thirty five thousand people marching in Brussels to say uh, you know we need to get off fossil fuels immediately. Um, and mm -hmm. it, is, this, it does feel like we're experiencing a pretty strong divide between, um, between the, between the sort of the, the, the youth of today and, and how they see their future and, 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 and sort of the, the older generation and, uh, who are ho still holding power uh, who don't really seem to understand the urgency that we're all feeling. I'm going to throw to Saren here because you can't actually see them, but so I'm going to throw to Saren and then, and then we'll get back to you. I, no, I just want to, I'm sure Lauren won't mind. I just wanted to do a really quick of my own pitch for power shift, which was that uh, when I, I went to Ottawa, I believe it was 20, 2008. I'm not sure what year it would have been, but I, w I went to one in Ottawa and what was really powerful for me, for me because obviously I was already doing the show at the time. So I think I probably learned less than your average attendee, but it definitely seemed like everyone there was getting so much out of it. But the biggest thing for me, like, even if you're like, well, I'm not really an activist. So am I going to be like out of place there or something like that? Like, I'm just, I'm interested, but I don't know if this is my scene. It was that the number one thing that I got out of it. And I think most people got out of it was just that really invigorating feeling of, Oh, wow. I was about to curse on air. Oh, wow. Um, 
uh, I'm not alone. Like it was just so invigorating to be surrounded by so many people who are just as passionate as you that you just can't come home filled with like fire in your blood. Even if you don't come home and do anything, you just mm-hmm. feel massively motivated. Although you should do things. You should, but it, like it's not like you shouldn't go there because like there's what I'm trying to say is that like if people want to go, but like, but I'm not going to like, I'm not, I don't have time to be part of a big project. That's not the reason you go. Right. You, you go to feel invigorated and you might find that you get sucked into something, but right. that's not why you should go. You should go because it's going to make you feel awesome and empowered. Well, and, and, and it will give you a chance to feel like there's enough, there's other, there are other people out there who, who feel similarly. Um, and so we've got about, about five minutes left, uh, of this, of this, of this chat, Lauren. So I wanted to sort of give you that sort of, I want to give you a, a pitch to sort of be like, you know, it, who are your, who, who, like, who should come? Is it, you know, like, or, or is it, you know, or, or even further, uh, what is the, what is the one thing you hope people sort of would leave, uh, with it? Oh my goodness. Okay. Um, yeah. Who should come? Uh, like Saren was saying, it's, it's sort of, it's, it's any young person who feels like they want to make a change, whether or not you consider yourself an activist, whether or not you've ever engaged in anything like that before, there will be something at PowerShift for you. Um, if you're brand new to the movement, uh, if, if you don't really consider yourself part of the movement or, or if you're kind of a veteran and you feel like maybe you know it all, there are so many workshops that are coming and so many fantastic speakers that, like, I'm excited. I'm disappointed I'm not going to be able to get to go to all these workshops because we have such fantastic people with so much experience and knowledge to share with us. Um, so, yeah, if, if you care at all about climate change or, or about making the world the, the place that we know it can be and taking it back from people who have... I don't know, upheld systems of oppression for so long, then, then this is where, where you should be. Um, also right now, uh, kind of as a, as a fun bonus, um, until February 6th, our registration fee is 50% off. So that means you get to come to the whole thing from Thursday night to Monday for $35. Um, so registration fees are, are, are quite inexpensive. Um, and if you're somebody who, who comes from a community um, where, where financial barriers like are a very real thing for you, we do have um, our frontline fund and needs-based funds open for, for another few days. So if you're listening and you're like, oh, man, I would love to go, but I, I can't afford to get myself to Ottawa, uh, there are links on the website. Please get in touch with us because we want to make sure you're there because um, everybody, not only is everybody welcome to come, but everybody, we, we need everybody at this table and we need everybody engaging engaging with this system and, and getting involved in the movement. Um and yeah, I feel like that's yeah. sort of like like my biggest thing. Um, if people are interested, uh, the URL this isn't always helpful over the air, but <laughs> is powershift-youngandrising.ca. We're also on Facebook, um, and our Twitter and Instagram handles are powershiftyr. Amazing. Um, yeah, we'll post that on the on the website as well. So so if you if you did not catch that quickly, we'll we'll post it so you can have a link directly. Um, and and I'll say that what we what's interesting uh, for the last part of the show is that we're going to be covering um, both uh, how our government spent uh, too much money on, on on Trans Mountain, which we which everyone sort of said at the time uh, <laughs> about how our Canadian pensions are being invested in in a fuel that we're all very very committed to trying to stop. Uh, and then and then a in the Supreme Court story, which is the one in which uh, in which is is really to me a, a highlight of of how difficult it will be for uh, hopefully for for edge companies to sort of get away with not paying their fair share and all those three stories I think would lead this to this similar question of you know the world we currently live in is unsustainable and so what does the future look like um, and and conferences like this I think are are an opportunity to come together with people and actually envision a world that does not that in which in which these are not our realities um, you know it, it's it's so it's it, it's so nice to be around people 
people who are are willing to to open that question and to have that conversation of what a different world could actually look like. Um, and 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 this kind of conference to me is the is the very much the opportunity to do so. Um, and so uh, thank you very much, Lauren. Do you have any last last pitch before we uh, go to break? No, I think you put that so beautifully. Thanks so much for for letting me talk about this. Yeah, thanks so much. We'll hear from you soon. Absolutely. Uh, uh, Saren, what uh, what do we got? All right. So the second thing I found today is called the Honest Heart Collective. I'm actually not familiar with them, but I liked the uh, the two minutes that I heard. So here we go. And you're listening to the Green Majority here on CIUT 89.5 FM, our wonderful and very appreciated community radio partners, as well as uh, that was the Honest Heart Collective, a new Canadian band that I just discovered just now. Uh, <laughs> back to the studio with more news. Yes, thank you very much. Yeah, that band sounded like they'd be called the Honest Heart Collective. <laughs> they were very honest, Dave. They have a very honest heart. Um, so we have uh, so we have three new pieces of news, all of which should probably encourage us to stop heavily investing in energy infrastructure that is propping up the fossil fuel industry. Uh, but let's start with Trans Mountain, Dave. So it is possible that the Canadian government overpaid for the Trans Mountain Pipeline and its expansion project by around a billion dollars, according to the Parliamentary Budget Officer. The value will drop even more if the project is delayed further. And I think we can safely say the project will probably be delayed further. The Budget Officer stated, quote, It's a very risky project to have bought something that nobody else in the private sector wanted to acquire. There are lots of retirement or pension plans that like to buy infrastructure of that nature that generate streams of revenues. NDP leader Jagmeet Singh recently stated that the project should be abandoned if consultations fail to satisfy all Indigenous stakeholders. Yeah, so we'll, we'll do a quick quick break here before we get into pensions. But uh, but I think the uh, what's inter- what I find fascinating about these kind of things is that these are the types of purchases or, or actions that a that are that are when a conservative government sort of or when conservative uh, politicians sort of harp on government waste, uh, throwing an extra billion dollars at a thing that no one in the private sector would buy. Like if you were going to run Canada like a business, quote unquote, no business would buy this pipeline. So why did a why did Canada buy a pipeline that no business would? Um, and it's because it's a pipeline, right? It's because the fa- it's it's. Be- it's only really functions as as, as as any reasonable thing because of the fact that it is a political maneuver to 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 keep parts of I mean, it was also the liberals who purchased it who knows what Andrew Shear would have done uh, I, I, I would be surprised well he might have yes he might have taken a, a more militaristic action to to push it forward but the point is that it is certainly that it, it we even with purchasing a pipeline, Shear is still hammering to know for quote unquote not doing enough for Alberta, despite apparently throwing away a billion dollars just to just to make them a little bit happier. Uh, but it, in that, you mentioned pipe, you mentioned pensions briefly. And speaking of pensions, many Canadian pensions are dependent upon shares of oil and gas companies, and all such pensioners would be screwed if the companies they depend on suddenly had no market for their product. Canadian oil and gas reserves exceed Paris Agreement limits. So without a transition strategy, Canada will face some strange decisions in the coming decade. Business expert Celine Back argues for mandatory climate risk transparency, so it's easier to predict the future of Canadian finances. The National Observer quotes her as stating, quote, The intent of climate risk disclosure is it enables analysts, chief economists, bank CEOs, pension CEOs, and savers like us to see the alignment of a given company's strategy with certain climate scenarios. 
Over time, if all these pieces come together, we should be able to make really easy decisions about how investments, whether they're pipelines or investing in new fossil fuel exploration globally, are aligned with the Paris Agreement, because at the moment, we don't have that information. I feel like they do have a at least a generic version of that information, which is that if you already have too many reserves to fit the Paris Accord, then any further investment is probably not within the Paris Accord. I'm just taking uh, that's it. No, I do not have not done the research. However, I feel like that's a relatively good guess. I'm pretty sure also that that they're assuming that the investors will know that that is a blatant, bold faced lie, because if it were true, he would be negligent of his duties. uh, They would be negligent of their duties as as business operators like that's that's part of your job like you would lose your job for not doing that for i made a massive investment with the company's money did you check is it going to be good for us i don't know (laughs) (laughs) like like there's there's, so there's a friend of the show tim nash uh recently had a has an article coming out in or uh, a profile of him coming out in uh uh, in the star i think it was yesterday and and in it i was talking to him about um or not in the article i was talking about afterwards about one of his major concerns and he's uh he looks at the sustainable uh, economy and everything like that and in his and one thing he's highlighting right now is we currently exist in a very dark uh, timeline uh, in regards to climate change. You have, you know, many leaders uh, who are who are who are basically have decided they're doing absolutely nothing, uh, whether or not that is uh, that is, you know, in here, Ontario or obviously in the States. And and he rightly points out that the that while in our current exact position, it does feel like, you know, that we'll continue on exactly like we're doing all the time. And therefore, these investments uh, all make sense. And, you know, and that we're still pipe, you know, still getting pipelines. Uh, they're trying to get pipelines built. But as we're experiencing, every one of them is having some problems. Uh, and we're still investing and there's still money there. Uh, and so shaping the Canadian economy towards fossil fuels remains to be uh, remains to be the the sort of opus, the opus, opus, what we're doing. I'm not going to try to speak Latin. Um, <laughs> uh, and, and yet the big question here is as we continually fail to respond to what we see the future as being, we're opening ourselves up as Canada uh, further and further and further towards this, this, oppor- this possibility that if in 2020 you get a, you get a, you get a, you get a, a flip and you get, you know, one of these American, uh, Democratic American uh, leaders who are, who are proposing a, uh, a Green New Deal, which currently has multiple frontrunners supporting it. You know, Elizabeth Warren, uh, Kamala Harris uh, have both come out saying this would support a Green New Deal. Then you experience the fact that Canada has now, especially and in Ontario, especially, we have begun to actually dismantle the economy we are building towards a green uh, green economy, and instead replacing it with further investments in something that at any moment could go. Like I don't think people really understand how quickly the 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 uh, value evaluate the valuations of, of fossil fuel companies. I mean, look could at the G- look at the GM closure. There's nothing we can do. We just sort of bemoan the fact that people aren't buying cars. Therefore, the the plant closes. Well, exactly. It's while they're while they open up a EV uh, an EV plant um, outside of Ontario, mm. uh, because and and Ontario is still dealing with the fact that we're being sued because you know they offered EV rebates and then returned them. Mm. You know we're we're consistently here in Canada actually like building out infrastructure for a economy that very quickly could go away. Um, as you know, if you see the States actually have a, have, you know, a monumental shift and, 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 and truly take this on. Um, I think there's enough pieces around the globe that you could see a pretty quick, at least understanding that the reserves that in fossil fuels, uh, that are, that are currently in, in, are, that are in fossil fuel companies, uh, are, are, are not going to come out. 
And even that shift would be enough to 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 undermine a large swath of the of the oil economy, which we are very heavily invested in and are still trying to invest in more. And so and so it's this it's this bit that there it's it, it's while while there's constant bemoaning of this concept that you know we can't build any any energy infrastructure in Canada because because of because of you know because of frontline uh, activists and, and indigenous communities sort of rejecting them, uh, they long term are almost certainly doing us a favor uh, from 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 economy side they're unquestionably doing uh, doing doing Canadians a favor from the, the the from the fact that we have 10 years to solve climate change but even from an, if, even if you're a cold economist side of things uh, th- this is a serious problem that we are further and further investing in you know it's like it's like someone has started building cars and the Canadian is like no we must continue the horse and carriage industry and and we will buy a we will buy a massive stable of more horses so that we all can continue to have horses and and yet the world is going to leave us behind and you know we had there were some moments where we had the opportunity to be leaders and we started building some sort of future and there are parts of the of the country that are still doing that um and and yet it's hard not to feel like we are setting ourselves up to be left behind um and and i I hope that's not the case um and and as we as we'll see in a second there's there's some more stories there but uh but sarah i I had a whole side thing but i'm I'm aware we're tight for time so i'll sum it up in simply the statement that uh the uh, our ability or the way that canada looks like good guys has not actually been because we've nearly been that good but because we look good relative to the americans and if my political instincts are correct about what's going to be happening to american politics over the next four years uh we're about to look like the bad guys yeah yeah, exactly. We are, and especially yes, especially what happens in the next in the next little bit. Um, and 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 the bad guys are not going to make a lot of money. <laughs> like we are, we we will really have to find a way to, to actually invest. And we're and right now we are, you know, we're in a position right now to invest, and we're choosing not to do so, uh, which is I think quite dangerous. Um, but speaking of of uh, of of, of in- energy infrastructure projects uh, in Canada, uh, there was a very important Supreme Court uh, uh, announcement today, this week. Yes, uh, I just want to first say I believe you were looking for modus operandi. That's what I was looking for. Yes, thank you. For. So the Supreme Court of Canada has ruled that the trustee for a bankrupt Alberta company cannot leave its unprofitable wells on agricultural land without cleaning them up. This means that the creditors of such bankrupt companies will not be getting as much money back after the company liquidates its assets, since some of that will have to go to cleaning up the well. Previous rulings that made wells out that made the wells out to be debts that the company couldn't pay back have thus been overturned, and so it may become more difficult for fossil fuel companies to borrow money. Yeah, and this is really important. Um, it, it, like every once in a while, you get these stories that that don't seem that 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 may on the surface seem sort of boring and um, uh, and 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 not not so interesting, but. Uh, but that actually have large impacts, and this is definitely one of them. Um, if you if you want to know why, uh, sort of watch how mad uh, the sort of energy, the conservative energy policy analysts are about this. Uh, and part of that is because if most the, the way investment often works is that the you know the more is that the the investors get their money back first and the the latest and the biggest investors get their money back first and anything that sort of comes in before that um, is is a is a huge. Uh, is a huge downside to that investment. You know, it's it's a mu- it creates a much bigger risk if 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 you if you don't have the fact that you'll get paid back first or or, or early on, and so and so the fa- and especially when you think about something like abandoned wells, which has been have proven to be a quite a difficult and um and 
and wide ranging and expensive project to clean up. Um, you know, more often these abandoned wells are sort of smaller energy companies um, that do eventually go bankrupt. And so the fact that uh, that this is happening is 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 monumental um, because it it will it will certainly it, it's another reason not to invest in in the in the oil sands. Um, and and that's and that, that is not I say that as a positive thing as from a standpoint of you know. This is an example of the Supreme Court of Canada actually stating, you know, no, you must you must be beholden to your word before your investors. Uh, you know, it's a, it is a, it's actually it's a shift that is um, that is that is that is quite quite important uh, from a standpoint of how the, the the oil industry would interact with the with the Canadian government. You know, they can consistently say that we'll pay people back uh, or that we will that these demand wills won't happen or that they've created a fund to sort of solve this problem. Um, but the fact that this is sort of a a law to come in first to say that actually like this is a thing that you have to do before anything else. Um, and that, you know, and it was a five to two ruling. It wasn't even a close ruling. Um, you know, it was a, it was a relatively firm stance by the Supreme Court. Well, it's one of those things that uh, once you hear about it being blocked, you're amazed that it even occurred in the first place. Well, exactly. Yeah. That you can just dig a hole, ruin this agricultural land, and then and then once you can't make money off it anymore, it's like, I, 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 can't, I can't afford to clean that up now. Yes. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And they've already siphoned off the, you know, the, the, the money to the investors, and now, they've, and now, they're, and now they're gone. Mm-hmm. Um, which was, if you remember about five, six months ago... Um, uh, the when when there was a sort of that study that came out about about um, from the Alberta regulator, I believe it was about how much it co- would cost to clean up all of the all of the abandoned wells, and it was a number that was astronomically large. And then 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 there was a whole backlash about that, even though it was an internal document, and it sort of created this whole kerfuffle. Um, but this is the type of thing that would be feeding into that that huge number was the fact that the was the was that it was going to be on the provincial government to pay for these wells. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was, so, but sorry, you, you I just, you forgot to say your favorite point, Stefan. So I'm going to say it for uh, you, which is that the, uh, if the investors are mad about that, then tell the oil companies to include that in the sticker price. Right. Right. That should be an upfront cost. If they're mad about it being taken out after the fact, it's really the consumer who should be paying that price. Yes, exactly. Yeah, yeah. Prices, everything should cost more. Exactly. Thank you. That is, that is, that is my, that is, I'm glad I'm being known for the everything is co- should cost more position. You're, you're sitting in my chair, so I'm being you while you're being me. That's fair. Uh, I do, like, especially, especially if it is oil, uh, it should, it should certainly cost more. Um, or at least if you're investing in digging holes, you should pay to fill them because that seems to make a lot of sense. Um, so, uh, they will. <laughs> We've got about we've got about five minutes left, uh, and we've got two stories uh, that are sort of finishing it off. Um, I think the I think the one from Colorado sort of to me uh, fits the fits the theme a little bit more, um, if only because it's again there's a, there's more young climate activists. Although this one is a little more depressing. Yeah. So a Colorado court has ruled against a group of young climate activists, deciding that health and environment concerns cannot be made paramount when making fossil fuel development decisions. The activists were trying to challenge how Colorado's oil and gas drilling laws are being interpreted by regulators. They might now push for an amendment or challenge the constitutionality of the current law in their ongoing bid to quickly and sharply reduce their state's greenhouse gas emissions. That law states that new oil and gas drilling must be done, quote, in a manner consistent with protection of public health, safety, and welfare. Climate reporter Nicholas 
Kuznets writes, quote, Colorado has had a series of charged fights over booming oil and gas development, which in recent years has expanded into suburban developments and encroached on homes and schools. And I think this is a there's there's two parts here, obviously, which is one uh, the tie in to the to the theme of the of the of the day around young climate activists uh, sort of making their voices heard, uh, and the second theme of the day, which is that things become problems once they start quote, unpro- uh, encroaching on quote uh, suburban developments um, and homes and schools. And they had they had a ballot measure on it. Is that what those are called? They had a ballot measure yes. where you directly voted on it, and uh, the people voted. Uh for the continued uh, oil and gas development, um, which is you know very very much like people, um, but but I think this this is a this is an important uh, a point here around the fact that um, at, it is become the, the that it is easier to ignore uh, rural issues, uh, especially when you are in uh, when you are in an urban center like we are, and and I think that it is important for. Uh, for us uh, in urban centers and, and for us as environmentals, especially to to continually sort of shine a light on on, on, on when issues are not encroaching only on suburban developments, homes and schools, uh, but are encroaching on the homes and schools of, of you know, of, in, of indigenous f- folks, say, at Unistoten, um or anywhere on the world, um, because because the fact that this was this is sort of brought up in, in here sort of speaks to the fact that people were probably cool with it when it was when it was outside of sight and mind and as it became more obvious uh they 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 sort of rose they rose to the occasion now of course this the 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 final part here which remains depressing is that they still lost um but the the fight does continue and and i think that's sort of that's sort of the theme of the of the week uh if if we have to sort of sum it up as we're sort of heading towards the end of the show which is these which is the fact that uh there continues to be this very sharp divide uh, between between how the young and youth people are, youth are experiencing uh, the the fact that climate change will be an issue when they you know for them personally um, they're currently experiencing it and they'll only continue to experience it worse and worse um, and the way that sort of the generic sort of you know the 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 Starbucks CEOs of the world uh, think that middle of the road centrism and lack of seventy percent you know taxes will be is the way is the way to bring is to unify everyone, um, when in fact the way to way to way the way forward is a is a sharp turn. We're not we're not going in the right direction, uh, and and we're only going to see more and more and more young people stand up and and, and start and, and get on and, and, and start forcing this issue because it really 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 matters to us um, there's a there's a climate article out uh, out in the world that says that something along the lines of the most important thing you can do about climate change is to talk about it uh, because and sort of harps on the fact that people don't talk about it uh, it's not sort of an, it's not a daily conversation like other news stories can be um, and so I think that the that, that perhaps that is the that can be a first step for for all of us uh, is to just start talking about it in a more a more daily basis. You know, bring it up, talk about it, how we're going to be affected. Uh, talk about how the fact that there are youth out there who are choosing not to have children because of because of how off base we are. Um, and and we have Canadian leadership who who seem to be uh, a little too in lockstep with uh, with the with the fossil fuel companies who who wish to continue this this us down that road. Um, and so and so tell your friends, talk about it, and. And if you can, uh, find yourself in Ottawa in two weeks. Uh, with that, I'm going to throw to Sarah and say bye. Yeah, so this week's quote is uh, that to the privileged, uh, justice often feels like oppression. And I say that to the oil companies because uh, you're going to get some stuff that you're not going to like. And unfortunately, you not liking it doesn't mean it's not fair or just. 
the uh, the youth of today, even if they don't vote, are still the voters of tomorrow. And uh, believe you me, they're going to remember this. Take care. <laughs>